I'm Silva Marapetian. Welcome to my show. We talk ordinary people, extraordinary stories, living life on their own terms. Hello, everybody. I'm Silva Harapetian. Welcome to the show. We have been hearing and talking a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the past few years. However, we must stop and ask ourselves, who is representing the content? And how is this content being presented? This question matters because, as one journalist eloquently wrote, making decisions about communities of color without communities of color in the room is negligent. Making those decisions about our community while actively ignoring input is the definition of oppression. And when this is happening in a newsroom, in a media industry, a watchdog agency so influential that it can perpetuate the pattern of inequity that it calls out in other institutions, we have to pay extra attention. Those words written by Lori Lizarraga, former Denver journalist, who wrote an article sounding the alarm to the public about what many of us who have worked in the media industry have known and experienced, alleged discrimination in newsroom. The first generation 27-year-old claims that news executives let her go out of her contract and let other two on-air Latina reporters go within the past several years without good reason. Thank you for joining us today, Lori. Thank you so much for having me, Silva. I appreciate it. Lori, I'm going to ask you the question. How has your life changed since the publication of your article? It's only been two weeks, Silva, so I, I think I'll have to let you know. Um, I'm having a lot more conversations, certainly, in the last two weeks. Um, I feel less alone, by far. My experience that I wrote about is a shared one, and I'm learning that more and more every single day. Um, and that has changed my last two years um, a lot. I felt alone a lot of the times, and me and my journalists of color in the newsroom really felt isolated a lot of the time. Um, often we would go through those experiences and almost not even want to share them with each other, just out of fear for, is it me or is it some type of discrimination? Um, we care a lot about the work that we do, and we, we want to do a good job. So throwing yourself under the bus every single time one of these things happens, it weighs on um, your feeling of capability to do the job. Um, and the ways that this has changed my life in the last two weeks has made me you know, realize that uh, this is a feeling that a lot of people have had, unfortunately, and I am certainly not alone. For people that haven't read the piece, right? For people who don't know what this is all about, can you summarize what you were trying to say in that article? Um, summarize what I was trying to say. I already was given a, t a very hard task putting it just into 1500 words, Zilma, so let's see if I can shorten it. I mean, the gist of it is it's been a hard two years and here's why. Um, and it's not just the struggle of being a journalist or being a reporter in a new city. Um, it's not just being one of very few people of color in a newsroom with a predominantly white, you know, population of managers and just colleagues. Um, it's not just feeling the burden of representing your community and their issues. 
Um, and if you don't say it, nobody else will. Uh, it's also the struggle of being made to feel an inch tall just on your own for what you really do believe is good work or what your understanding of its impact is that it's good and that it's actually having an effect in the community that's positive. But then feeling gaslit often and not knowing that that's what you should call it. Um, watching others get praised in the newsroom for a work that garnered less results than the work you were doing, but you didn't hear a thank you or any kind of, you know, encouragement about it. So you're constantly battling if, if you're doing a good job um, when most of the feedback that you're getting is about the things you could be doing better, but you know that your newsroom is capable of complimenting and of building up and of empowering. It's just you're not the recipient of that. And you're watching your friends who share the same passion for reporting on the same communities experience similar versions of this. Um, you know, it's 2021. You don't want to believe that this stuff is still happening, but it very much is. And you almost don't really believe yourself when you're saying it. Um, so you know there will be doubt if you talk about it to other people who aren't familiar with your experience. How do I get you to understand without sounding like I'm a disgruntled former employee or just not doing good at my job? The moral of my story was that I am not discussing one way or the other how good I was at my job or whether I deserve to have my contract renewed. That is not the point. The point is that no matter how good or bad I am at my job, nobody deserves to be treated that way. And I saw so many of us not deserve to be treated that way, treated that way. That's, that's the point of the story. Yeah. And you talk about a lot of friction when it came to covering stories within the community that, that you represent. And you talk about vernacular that yes. you got into an argument with and or not necessarily argument, but disagreement with when it comes to, you know, undocumented you know, uh, uh, or illegal, and all of those, the labeling really impacts how people are viewed. Right. And communities of color understand that and understand the, the undercurrent of those labels and the impact it has. But talk to me about covering stories and having to sort of fight for stories, about having stories tabled, about having consistently having conversations about what the community is feeling and wanting to represent the community in a newsroom that may not have a complete perspective on what they're doing and how challenging that was. It's odd speaking to a group of people who don't have an expertise or lived experiences the way you do. And for them to not just be the experts on what goes on in the newsroom in their all you know shared experience and the guidelines of the newsroom, but to also assert that they're the experts of my community and of our lived experiences and of the ways we want to be referred to is a very interesting environment to come into to see that kind of just bold belief of all knowingness. Um, so it was it was a, sort of I guess in the most generous way, a level of cocky that I wasn't prepared for, 
Um, and it, it did, it got me into, I mean, I think a standoff is a good way to, to say it, an argument within the first two weeks of my starting where I'm, I'm telling you that this is not the best way to discuss or refer to our undocumented community, especially when this is a student in high school, this is a kid. Um, and the kid's already nervous about using this platform to even tell his story because this is such a sensitive subject. But you want me to change the script, you know, an hour and a half before this goes on TV to say that he is in the country illegally. And I can't I can't put my voice to that. I cannot speak those words. And the undercurrent of that is this is my family. This is my this is, was my mom and my grandma. I watched them get their citizenship. I saw the lengths that my family had to go to. I've seen my friends, my community. I understand that this is an extremely complicated subject. So if we are giving this story a platform, we need to give it also some sensitivity and be fair to the person who we've asked to share their story. And we just couldn't get on the same page about it so much so that the person, you know, the manager who I was having this conversation with told me at one point, you know who you should talk to? You should talk to one of our other white anchors because he's just a grammar guru. He knows you know, the reasons and can better explain way better than me why this is the appropriate way to do it, why this is actually the most respectful way to do it. And I'm just, I'm just standing there like, it's, I'm not having trouble understanding the grammar of it. You're having trouble understanding that I'm not talking about grammar and I'm not sure where we're getting lost in translation here. And that was just, that would discourage me and I would watch it discourage many other reporters from this side of it, from you know a Latino side who are familiar with the refugee and the undocumented communities and the struggles that these communities face. It would discourage a lot of us from doing immigration coverage because we didn't want to put our communities in that position and they so deserve this platform, but we were really left with choices and we were given these stipulations and these guardrails that were put on us tell the story but you must x y and z when we've already said that we don't want to do those things or that we're not comfortable or that it's not fair to our community we're so careful about language and we're so strategic so often so it didn't seem fair that we could be asserting that this is the better way to do it um and then it just wasn't important you know something really tugged at my heart when i read your article and I want to pull it up and read that. Um, and I, I want to hear about how you f felt about this. Because oh, did I send it to myself? Yes, I did. Here it is. So bear with me here. So I'm going to use my computer here to read a piece of uh, what Lori wrote. And... Um, You said there was an incident where you used a, a eight seconds of a Spanish interview without captions, and that was a big deal. And a few months later, you say, quote, I was instructed not to wear my hair in a bun with a middle part anymore, a style I have seen and worn as a Mexican and Ecuadorian woman all my life. Not a good look. I was told. Can you tell me what that felt like? I was mad. 
I feel sad hearing it back now more than I did in the moment, but in the moment I was just angry. Um, because there is so much to be said for what brings different cultures our identity. And there is a, a white version of what's deemed professional. And what I was being told was, I don't even know if it would you know, go so far as to say it's not professional. I think the gist of what I was being told by white women was, well, we don't, we don't like that. Don't wear it, we don't like it, it's not pretty. Your version of what looks good and my version of what looks good is gonna be different because we have different hair, but we also just come from different cultures. So we're gonna dress differently and look different and our hair is gonna be done in different ways. I'm gonna wear jewelry that you might not wear. So it, it wasn't that I was not malleable to what looks good on TV. I've made lots of adjustments for what looks best on TV. I'm, I understand that. This was cutting to the core of my identity and my background, my culture, my grandmothers on both sides. Um, I was I was mad. I'm I'm sad now to think that that has happened to other people in other ways. Um, but it it just showed the lack of being able to see or even wanting to try to see beyond anything but your lived experience and what a shallow puddle to pull from in life if all that looks good or is good is what you believe or what you are comfortable with or what you have seen or your definition of what is good for a reporter to look like um that's just that's silliness you just said that at the time you were mad and listening to it back, it makes you sad. Can you tell me why? Because I feel, I guess, older now, um, and it feels more hindsight. So thinking of myself in those positions and thinking of adults treating young journalists that way, you, you really can rob us of our spirit and of our desire to want to be there when when we speak to each other so harshly like that it's just not fair to be in the business of communication and communicate so poorly and so I guess just thinking about myself in that that time, it does make me sad because I, I was younger. I think, you know, this experience has aged me more than probably it should have. But I mean, that's that's the truth. I know now that I'll get through it. So I have the capacity to be emotional about it. But at the time, you don't have the space to let it get you sad. In order to keep going, you can't sit there or you'll just never get up. So, you know, you have to have outrage over it because I had so many of my colleagues of color, you know, tell me like, I'm, I'm tired, I'm, I'm tired, nothing shocks me anymore, I'm, I'm exhausted. And I would just say all the time, we don't get to be tired yet. We have to do this because there are people coming behind us who need it. And there are people who were before us who get to be tired. They're not out here, it's us now. And we get to just be acclimated to what should incite outrage. And so I guess, you know, that's that's really the difference was then I didn't have the luxury of sad. You just have to 
you have to feel like you have to you have to you have to let it roll off your back and move forward and you know i i i i think i asked the question because i think about all of the things that i've been told right getting into the business 23 24 years ago and I was told everything from your hair is too dark, your features are too strong, um, your olive skin's too difficult to light, um, you sound foreign. And on some level, there, there's truth to those things because I am those things. Right. And um, which are not bad things. <laughs> which, are, which are not bad things. And, and the upside of all of that, I have, you know, in my 20s, I have more life experience than most 50 year olds would have, you know, surviving of war and a revolution and immigration and a refugee and like all of those things, right? Those, that's, those are the values that I bring to the table. But to hear, having been through that, a life like that, and then being told, you know, your features are too strong, so therefore you don't get to be on television. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're not, strong enough, if you don't have a strong character, if you don't have a strong identity, it can kick the wind out of you. And there, I've seen so many young journalists get into the business and have one experience like that, and they're done because, you know, they don't want to have to deal with that. They don't want to, you know, so I think we just have to, we have to be, we have to be better. We have to do better. Whereas we have to, we have to take all kinds of things into consideration. And I don't know if this is something that will change overnight. I don't know if it'll ever really truly change without um, real movement behind it. But what I know is that we have to talk about it. And I know that I have the power and the platform to continue to speak on it and, you know, having the pleasure and the honor of meeting people like you and giving you the platform to have this conversation and hoping that someone along the way listening to this, working in, you know, small market or just getting into a new job that is competitive is listening to this and is doubting themselves and is able to say, you know, no, um, I, I, I am worthy of who I am and I need to be strong in, in who I am and I matter, you know. And I know we're talking about the media and this is not a shared experience for a lot of people who are watching and listening, but I know this is a shared experience in a lot of organizations where you feel like you have something to say, where you feel like your experience or your wisdom, uh, a lived experience is valuable and we so much shy away from saying something because we're afraid of losing our jobs, we're afraid of, you know, being blackballed and blacklisted and, you know, all of that. But well, this is the platform. It's just being judged. That's in itself enough to keep people from speaking up. It's very difficult to feel on the outside of something and just going with the flow is often just putting your head down and putting up with this because, you know, it's difficult to, to speak up and say, well, I, I feel like I was hurt by this. That's, that's hard. Well, I mean, I think it's more than hurt. I think it's it's a matter of uh, we're really talking about the systemic discrimination, right. a systemic um, distribution of uh, or or execution of of a way that things have been done, and this we're at we're at, we're at an impasse 
where we have to have these conversations and we have to do things differently. Um, we saw it in 2020, we're seeing it in 2021, and this is a platform where we want to empower people to use their voice. You know, you and I know what the media industry is like. You and I know how difficult it is to break into the business and how hard it is to work your way up to a market like Denver, right? There is such a thing as climbing the ladder and that is part of paying your dues as you're working your way from small cities and small markets, as we have just discovered, we both spend time in Bakersfield, to places like Denver and me in Miami. However, in spending that time and paying your dues, there's a significant sacrifice that's made, right? And when you finally get to a big city and a big market, as places like Denver and Miami are known to be, you want to maintain yourself there and you want to do a good job. And most of us who've been in this business or do this, do it because it, it's a calling, it's a purpose, um, it's what we love to do, right? Despite the, the perceptions of glamour, this is a really difficult job. It is what we do to represent our communities and to find yourself in those circumstances and also facing challenges where you can't have those conversations, not just with your executives, but you know, with your other peers, right? Talk to me about how frustrating that was and how you cope with that. I don't know if cope is anything that I figured out in the two years that I was there. I think, like you said, um, journalism for me and being a reporter and advocating for my community um, and all of the communities you know, who I got close with while I was in Denver and in the metro area, um, they're worth sticking around for and putting my head down for and telling their stories and elevating their voices and, and discussing their causes. That's really, I guess, how I would say I coped in that I said, you know, the struggle is worth it for the outcomes of what the journalism can do. Um, the piece, however, has helped me take back the entirety of the two years, not just the positive you know, outcomes of the journalism, but also all of the hard stuff in between. The piece has really validated every second of the last two years. And I didn't expect that to be what came from it. But for me, that really has been um, a chance to sort of take back and own the two years instead of feeling victimized by it. You know, it is also commonly understood that you don't shake the boat and you don't become the person who is difficult to work with, which is easily, um, you could be easily labeled in a newsroom. Um, if you're voicing concern or voicing, voicing your opinion or, or, or wanting to have conversation around difficult topics. Um, it is also very well known that the media industry is very much like Hollywood. Everybody knows everybody and everybody is hired on recommendation and references and you know, it's, it's really easy to end up on that, on that no hire list, right? Yeah. So um, what made you decide that using your voice and speaking up was more important and more significant than a job? My hope is that it's not more significant than a job, <laughs> fingers crossed. Uh, and so far that's not proving to be the case, but two weeks ago, you know, when I was writing the piece, um, I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know that this would be so well received and, and it's been worth it to me to risk that. And just like you said, you know, to 
potentially close the book on my journalism career prematurely to write something like this and to risk saying things like this, especially about a legacy station like where I was at. Um, it was worth it because I thought so many times over the last two years, why didn't someone tell me or why didn't someone warn me? And I wished so often that I had had that heads up or a deeper inside look into what was going on. I felt blindsided, I guess. And I didn't want other journalists coming behind me, especially a young Latina reporter like I, like I am, like I was walking into those doors two years ago, full of just eager possibility about what could happen um, than to just be let down so much in so many ways. I just, I wanted to make sure that I was preparing the other journalists like myself who were coming behind me. And I also knew that if I was closing doors to opportunities that those were doors that needed to be shut for me because I couldn't do another two years or really any amount of time experiencing a newsroom like I had just been in. So if it meant that people shut the door on me because I was gonna, you know, whistleblow on another newsroom, um, then I don't want to walk into a culture that has something to whistleblow about. I'm not saying that there's going to be a newsroom out there that's perfect and doing it all right. Um, but if someone is open to me being in there and bringing my diversity and bringing my perspectives and doing the work that I care about, that's community driven and advocacy driven, um, then we're going to get along great. And I wanted to sort of close those doors as hard as that was to the newsrooms that didn't make sense for me because I didn't want to get burned out from this industry. And lastly, it was always worth it because community and truth is worth it. And it felt high time that someone said something and there were just too many things to not say something. I just felt like I owed it to the journalists coming behind me, to the community, to myself. Um, and that, that all you know, weighed the scales in favor of doing it, even though I was petrified. I, um, I empathize and totally understand. And when I first reached out, reached out to you, um, I told you that I understood the level of courage that it took to come forward um, because as many of my viewers know and followers know and listeners know, I, it's no secret I'm, I've found myself in a very similar circumstance where I, where I have had to use my voice to speak on topics that are important to speak about, that are, is about equity, equality and inclusion and diversity and the experience of being on the receiving end of those circumstances creates a lot of doubt. Um, and to stare at a decision that could potentially be a career ending decision um, is a difficult one. But just like you, you know, yours is about community and truth. Mine was about integrity, you know, integrity as a journalist, if I'm an advocate, if I speak for the community, if I work for the community, if I, if I am representing the community, if they are, if I am a conduit to, to which their voices are heard publicly, right? And I am in the business of exposing justice and holding those powerful accountable, then how could I possibly on the next shooting, on the next difficult uh, story, convince someone else to put their face on the news 
and on TV and go public about a story that could impact their life and their job and their future when I am not willing to do the same for myself with the organization in which I work when it is my turn. And I grappled with that and struggled with that. And, and it was an internal tug of war for a very long time. But I just simply could not call myself a journalist because then it is like conditional journalism, right? You can, you can tell stories and hold other people accountable, but when it's at your front door, right here <laughs> in front of your face, oh, you're supposed to turn a blind eye. And if you truly are about the work, then this, these are the decisions that have to be made and these are the conversations that need to be had. So I admire you, honor you, and just salute you for having the courage to come forward because what you're talking about is the kind of conversation that needs to be had, not just in the media industry, but these are the conversations that need to be had across the board. I want to go back to the level of confidence right that you have in speaking about this because you were so eloquently said if this closes a door to somewhere that has those things that that's not a door i want to walk through anyway that there's a level of confidence that has to exist within you um, knowing who you are and what you're about to be able to say if that means that's a failure then that's a failure right or if that means that door closes that door closes where do you think that level of confidence and that level of self-awareness comes from for you oh goodness great question i have kind of no idea i think i i think i just know i'll work really hard so i'm gonna be okay I, you know, our family has gone through so much. We're first generation Americans. I'm one of five. And um, we've just been through so much together and on our own. Um, but I think knowing that life throws just some dirty curveballs at you sometimes and knowing that you can get through that, this, I think I just knew that I could, I could get through it. And I knew that if, you know, I ended my journalism career against, you know, what I really want, which is, which is to continue, um, that I would be okay. And if I needed to start my own company or, you know, be an entrepreneur of some kind, or, you know, go into a different field for a little while and figure it out. I mean, all of those things just aren't life ending. So I think just having the perspective probably, um, to know that if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, it's going to be okay. And, um, I, I sort of, you know, cling to that with everything in life, just to give me a little perspective. Do you think that your perspective comes from coming from a immigrant family? Certainly. Everything we, everything we do is, it comes from that. That's, you know, our foundation. So talk to me about that, because I think this is a, this is a disconnect that, 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 that happens that a lot of people, you know, there's, you know, our voices are undervalued in organizations, right? But we're the ones who are, who are resilient. We're the ones who can throw any kind of curveball at us and we're still, we're resourceful and we figure it out and we survive. And that's because we come from these types of families who've had to figure things out. Right. So talk to me about the immigrant experience, you know, while trying to live the American dream. Yeah, I mean, like we said, Silva, it's, it really is the foundation of everything that I am, putting myself through school, um, you know, 
waging out on my own, the only one of the five to ever leave Texas or where the family is. I mean, we don't know anything but to succeed or survive. Um, growing up in, you know, my family, one of five kids, I'm the middle. Uh, my parents were putting themselves through school when we were kids. My, you know, mom came here when she was a teenager, when she was learning English. Um, they were getting master's degrees and different, you know, decorations from different schools all throughout our lives. We were just looking through family albums the other night. And I think it was, you know, and I must have been a senior in, in high school when we were at a graduation for my mom of some kind, you know, just they never stopped learning and growing and pushing and pursuing. And my dad was a pastor at one point, a teacher at another point. Um, but when I was a baby, he was working at a hardware plant type place. I remember he was working with a, a buzzsaw and came home and he had to get stitches on his knee because it cut through his pants. That was he said he missed several years of me and, and in his memory of remembering me as a baby because he was working during the day and working during the night. I mean, the, our family from my grandpa who brought my dad's family here when he was my age, they have been doing nothing but putting their noses down and working hard, trying to make a better life for their families. So yeah, I don't have a choice but to keep pursuing that because they deserve that commitment that they gave me. And my future family deserves that commitment to rising requires rising and we have to do that every single day in order to continue giving back to the generations before me who have done so much to get me to where I am. Love that. I mean, that's, that, that's such an important element of, you know, feeling responsible for the sacrifices that they have made mm -hmm. and knowing that you are responsible to make those sacrifices worthy, right? Yeah. And then the irony of finding yourself in a, in a situation where everything that makes you who you are is in doubt and it's making you question your worth. Oh, I just, I, I mean, it, it's, it's taken me years of therapy to be able to construct that sentence and not break down. And it's not just, it's not just horrifying and traumatizing but it's also just incredibly sad because you think about so many other people coming after us right and so many people now struggling with a lot of this and this is why these conversations are so important is to say there are ways to get past it there are ways to get through it there's ways to move forward and we have to dig deeper and um almost become more of ourselves yeah. right in order to actually work through this. Help us, Lori. Tell us, anyone who's listening and watching who may find themselves at an impasse, who's not sure, they're doubting themselves, they're wondering what to do, what are some words of wisdom from your lived and shared experience here? Um, you know, truth is always worth it. It's always worth standing on your experience and believing that if speaking your truth only results in putting it out in the world and nothing more Then even that is worth it. But what I have experienced in the last two weeks is so much greater than just speaking it out and letting it exist in, you know, the digital world of, you know, my article online. This has been an opportunity to unite a group of people who otherwise have lived with these experiences all by themselves 
believing in some ways that it could be discriminatory or believing in some ways that these experiences could be the product of systemic racism, believing in some ways that they could be outright discrimination and racist behaviors of patterns of years long um, that they had to be victimized by in their newsrooms or in their workplaces. And now what this piece did was shine a light where light has not been for so long, where we have been made to feel like we owe the career some sort of silence or will be X from it. The career of journalism doesn't exist without us. And we're getting to a place in this country where there is no such thing as minorities. We are here. We are present. We are newsmakers. We hold so much incredible value. And that's not more true today than it's ever been. That has always been the case. But how you are treated and the value that your diversity brings, that to me holds more value today than it ever has. Because you're getting to a point on the organization side where you can't not be woke to the value that diversity brings. So we hold that much more value if you hire us to keep us, to retain us, to respect us, to elevate us, to empower us, because us sticking around keeps you out of trouble, but it also, educates your communities in ways that we have so much to make up for in terms of educating our communities. And that is the value of your truth is everything that you say and everything that you've gone through now doesn't have to just be something that you were victimized by and that you have to go through in secret and in silence alone. Now it is something that shines a light where light is finally welcome and you do have a community. And if you can learn anything from my story, it's that you're not alone, deeply so. And while that's unfortunate, what that means is that you will have a community waiting to support you. And what I have also found is that I have viewers and community members who are deeply ready to take on this fight and to believe me every single word about what I have gone through. Because what do you have to gain from putting yourself in this position and taking this risk? You will have buy-in, you will have support. And if all it is, is that your community and speaking your truth, great. But you don't live in a time where truth is just that anymore. It's action. And I'm seeing that play out right now. And it is worth every single second of the grief that you feel or the, the fear that you feel about speaking out. It is worth it to watch truth do what truth does. The truth always wins. And that is, uh, that is a, a exactly what I have discovered. I felt so alone and felt so lonely in this fight for so many years. And when the information became public about my own experience, um, the kind of feedback, the kind of support, everything from people that I know personally mm -hmm. to people who I haven't heard from for so long, from viewers and um, followers and uh, ironically executives in the industry who have been my friends for so long and also people who, who have struggled and found themselves in the similar situation and not just in this industry but in other industries, finding my phone number, finding my email, and telling me their stories, right? Coming forward and telling me about how it's happened to them, how they've lived through it. For in every organization, in every newsroom, in every corporate uh, office, in every conference room, it is about being validated as a human and respected and honored, just like everybody else. Thank you so much, Lori, for joining us. You and I could probably talk about this for hours, but I really, <laughs> 
I want to I want to thank you for for making time for us. I want to thank you for being so courageous and honest and your transparency. And I look forward to working with you to continue to raise our voices, empower our voices, and to create change um, in the years to come. If you need to get in touch with Lori, I'll put all of her contact information somewhere along this video. Uh, my contacts are on there too, so if you need to get in touch with us for whatever reason, um, this is all about building community. It's about being empowered, and it's about empowering others. Thank you for watching and listening. We'll see you next time.